0: good morning good afternoon good evening whatever time of day that you are listening in on this all- new episode of tap into college golf for me it's bright and early on a Saturday morning but wanted to make sure I got this episode uploaded before the end of the week so that you all can join in on my great conversation I had with the James Madison University coach Tommy Baker All right. Welcome to another episode of Tap Into College Golf. Another um, great conversation here that I am looking forward to with a coach that I've gotten to know um, over the last few years, or I guess probably even more than that, um, which he will talk about kind of where we first were introduced to each other and a little bit of his background. But just want to we'll let him kind of start it off with what led him into coaching. But we have the James Madison coach here, Coach Tommy Baker. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Brandy, for having me. And I'm sure you're probably tired of hearing this, but thank you for everything you do for the game, especially for the young women out there. And, you know, as a, as a dad of a six-year-old girl who probably has no desire to play golf right now because it doesn't involve makeup and purses and bracelets, um, you know, having people like yourself as a role model for them, it's, it's great for the future of the game. So, Well, thank you. Um, thank you.
0: I, I appreciate that.
1: Uh, it's my background in coaching. Now that is a long story that I could probably fill up an entire podcast on, but, um, I'll try not to get on a diatribe here. Uh, you know, my playing career, it was, it was okay. I played a division two school, UNC Pembroke in North Carolina. Um, just like every male college golfer, we think with a 72 to 75 stroke average, we're going to be the next Tiger Woods at the time and go pro and all that. And, you know, that was the plan. Obviously I had backup plans, whether it was physical therapy school at Elon or law school, I was kind of going down both those routes, not really sure which way I wanted to go if golf didn't work out. And um, my career or future career, whatever you want to call it, kind of hit a snag my senior year where I tore my ACL. Um, I tore it in November uh, mid season, right after the fall, fall campaign. And um, you know, that, was something you know? I talk a lot about with my recruits and players about mental health and how important it is because it was definitely changed my future at that point. And, um, long story short there, our home event was in April. Obviously, that was four or five months removed from the surgery, so I wasn't clear to play. I lost my entire senior year, and um, my coach at the time said, hey, Tommy, I need you to, to help me coach our home tournament. I'm going to be doing the scoreboard. I'm going to be doing score sheets, pen sheets, you know, at that time, the D2 level, we didn't have assistant coaches, so he just needed a body, and, you know, my competitive mindset, I'm like, well, sure, and I'm gonna do it great, I'm gonna do the best, like, I wasn't gonna, like, just hope, hum it through, and I had a lot of players throughout that process, those three days, said, man, you really should do this, like, you're really good at it, you gave us great information, and at the time, I'm still a little naive, like, thinking, I'm just gonna come out of this, and start shooting 68s again, and, um, you know, needless to say, the, the playing career wasn't much, uh, wasn't very exciting after that, at least to call myself a participant uh, more than an actual player. So um, then things kind of, you know, came full circle, went back to grad school with a GA at UNC Pembroke under the same head coach, uh, dabbled a little bit there. We started the, the women's program there um, together, so that was kind of my first I guess, you know, experience with women's golf, it's definitely different, which, you know, there's a reason why I'm in it now. And that's probably the reason why, um, then ended up going to Coker college, which is now a Coker university where we first met. I remember at, um, the blade, the blade tournament. Yep. Um, you know, you, you helped me a lot. because We, you know, also started a women's program there as well. So my first two stops, I'm creating women's programs while I'm also coaching men at the same time. And, So that was, without an assistant, that was a full-time gig. And, you know, spent four or five years there, went down to Florida at St. Leo University, um, took over a great program there that was, you know, led by uh, Erica Brennan, who's now at South Florida at the time. And um, she had left to go to Tennessee and took over that program. She left me, you know, a surplus of talent that I could build and, you know, build on and uh, go from there. Left there, went to Colorado State for a year under Annie Young, and next thing I know, James Madison comes calling, and my wife and I said, you know, if the the East Coast ever calls again, we're coming back. Um, yeah. We love we loved our time in Colorado. It just was not, you know, for my wife, it wasn't close enough to the beach. Okay. So, uh, long story short, that's that's kind of my background in it, and it's been. It's been fun. It's been a lot of houses, a lot of elementary and middle schools for our kids, but we we found a spot that we we like and we look at staying for a long time.
0: That's that's great. Yeah, I can remember, like you said, back when when we met back at Coker, and and then yeah, seeing you know kind of your progress through the couple of different coaching ranks to to being there now at, at James Madison, and like you said, back on the East Coast. Yeah, I can. um Well, yeah, I can see Colorado is a great place to visit and spend some time, but you definitely feel a little landlocked out there for us that are close to a little bit close enough to the coast to hop over there anytime you need to. Yes. Well, you actually mentioned a really, and I know we talked about this before we started recording about how we might easily go sidetracked and I may ask you things that aren't on the question. So we'll just start with the first one. But you did, you mention, and it's kind of twofold here that you can shed some light on, I think is you mentioned the difference in the men and the women and coaching them and would be interested to, hear what you, you know, what you feel like is the difference. Um, and then just share a little bit about having to coach both programs. You know, obviously there's several programs out there with smaller programs where the coach does both, but just talk, you know, a little bit about that difference in the men and the women, and then just trying to kind of balance both programs um, when you did that, both at at Coker and some, um, did you do both at St. Leo? Were you both? No, just the, just just the, the, the women
1: Saint just Leo, at St. Leo, but at UNC Pembroke, we did the both. Pembroke, yeah. At there yeah. As well. Um well I mean that is I mean a, a million dollar question right there but um <laughs> right off the bat but right off you know, the bat
0: I give you <laughs> a curveball. Uh
1: truthfully, you know, I think it's what you know juggling those two types of programs is what made me the coach I am today. Um through the failures of learning especially on the women's side how you know it's you know someone told me very early you know they don't care how much you know until so they know how much you care. Um, and when, when you put them on a humanistic level, instead of, you know, I'm a superior and you're beneath me and you, you know, you talk to them like a human being. And, you know, they, what I love about coaching women is they're always willing to try what you suggest, um, guys, on the other hand, sometimes that can be a little more of a challenge because they've done it their way for so long. And the process is it's my way or the highway. And, um, but at the end of the day, they're all the same because they all want to compete and they all want to do their best. And as a coach handling both, you do have to flip a switch when you're going from one team to the next. And whether it's good or bad, that's up to the, that person to decide. But, you know, ultimately, I felt like I related better um, coaching women than I did coaching men because of the, the constant struggle of not really listening, I guess would be the greatest way to say for, for on the men's side is it's more of a challenge. And, you know, quickly I learned, okay, hit three wood to the corner of this fairway, for, for a guy's mentality, they're like, I'm getting driver over the corner of the fairway to the, and the the ladies, they'll just be like, okay, and just do it. And if it doesn't work out, maybe they change it, but at least they're, they're willing to listen. And, you know, I think, you know, there's the game's changing, especially on the women's side, which, like I said, we're going to get off topic so many times today. It's not even funny. The, The women's game is changing so much right now with length and power and ground force. And, you know, that's a whole different podcast there, but you know, I think my experiences from coaching men in the past, it's helping me with this transition where, you know, you saw it this week at Furman where 23 under wins. Mm-hmm. Um, no longer is that 12, 15, 18, 20 over a good enough number. And um, the one way you're going to shoot 23 under is by cutting some corners and overpowering a golf course.
0: Yeah. 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 I was looking. So, you know, just keeping up with some of my my different players and, and even just thinking, you know, yeah, I was out at the lady pallet this weekend and thinking about what we shot to you know to play good and you thought was good mm-hmm. and then seeing what those scores are now and you're like oh, okay that's not so bad you know 94, 75 76 you know that that's playing all right or seeing that some of my girls are doing that and then you're like that doesn't even like crack the top 30 you know and mm-hmm. it's, it's just crazy to see the difference and I mean you had to play you know even in our day you had playing at a very competitive level you had to play play good but yeah I mean it's just it's a different uh, definitely a different game just a different level a different um you said the speed i got asked this yesterday about length and speed and power and you know how much that's affected the game of golf um on the women's side and it is i mean it's becoming such a such a factor I talked to a lot of coaches about it you know obviously yeah at the end of the day you got to get it in hold but that um that advantage that it has is just hard to you know it's hard to to compare and it's hard to to dismiss for sure
1: mhm it's uh, i mean length I'll never, you know, eliminate someone who doesn't hit it far because if they get in the hole, they can get in the hole. But yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, 270 down the middle of the fairway is a lot better situation than 225 in the middle of the fairway. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it just makes such a difference in the next shot the next shot you have and, you know, and just everything just kind of uh, uh, waterfalls from there. So, well, you know, with just talking a little bit about, you know, the – talking about Lady Paladin this weekend you all were here um playing and I know you know I know that um the program has made huge strides since you've been there and um, to talk you know about some of the highlights of the program and what's going on I mean I know this is your fourth season I think it is and yeah uh, you know have just broken some records um you know continue to do that so just you know just Talk a little bit about, you know, how that's been since you've gotten there and and how exciting that's been. And, you know, obviously we'll get into a little bit of maybe some of the whys and hows as far as you run in the program and and the girls and stuff. But just um, talk some about, you know, what the accomplishments over the last few years have been.
1: Well, you've kind of hit a a soft spot for me here because I'm not the best at bragging. Um, I'm kind of a a humble person. And when my players play well, I give them all the credit. I play poorly. I blame myself and um, which drives my players crazy. But. Um, it's just kind of the way I was raised and take accountability and all that. But as far as the program over the last four years, you know, we've, I think as of last year uh, during the COVID year, we set every single scoring record in program history. Um, when I took over year one, I think we had about a 311, 312 stroke average. Right now we're averaging 291. Um, and it's with still some of the same players from that first year. So it's really been um, great on that. You know, I had two, uh, incoming freshmen when I first got here and Kate Owens and Carly Livers. And, you know, I, asked, I remember finishing, I think, next to last or something like that at the conference championship my first year and, you know, walking down, walking over the bridge at St. James Plantation, we, you know, I asked both of them separately. I was like, Hey, I need you to do me a favor. And they're like, yeah, coach, what's up? And I was like, listen, I need you to help me to change the direction of this program because without player buy-in, it becomes a program where it's a coach said this coach said that. Coach is making me do this. And when you have player-led programs, it becomes I'm doing this for them and I'm doing it for the betterment of the team. And I've got your back, you've got my back type of uh, mindset. But as far as highlights of the program, you know, we've, like I said, we've set every scoring record there is in program history. We're continuing to reset those program records uh, as far as, you know, I think, you know, my first year we finished dead last of the Lady Paladin. Um, this year, I think we we shot I think two eighty five or two eighty six final round a couple under um, on you know I think only Furman was the other team to shoot under par the, the final round and um, I, ch- I challenged them before that fa- final round after day two to, to you know mentally it's mindset to you know not you know lull into the three or four holes where you kind of feel sorry for yourself where you know it's time to kind of snap out of it when we want to become a more competitive program and be in the conversation for titles that you know we we no longer can have that comfort of three, four, five holes of just kind of I hate to say woe was me mindset, but you know, the the poor me attitude. And you know, we've all got to challenge ourselves to snap out of it. But um, programs heading in the right direction, recruiting's going great, recruiting's going really well. And you know, the the buy-in, the chemistry, the culture, and I think that's what's leading to all the new records is the culture of the program, the chemistry of the young ladies and um, you know, I've got a great group. They, they cook dinner, they kind of rotate this like cooking dinner for each other thing on the weekends, you know, every other weekend where we're not too busy. And um, they go out to eat together and, you know, that's from top to bottom, not just five of the nine, it's all nine. Um, we'll go out and eat together. And I think that's what, that's what makes this group special. And that's what's going to continue uh, the success of the program and growth and development is the, the chemistry that's going to separate us from a lot of our, our peers.
0: Yeah. I love that. I know, you know, you talked about being a player led program and um, that, you know, I think that's, that is so important to feel like they're the ones, you know, without giving them too much control and too much power, you know, there's there's definitely a, a line there. Well, you know, like you said, letting them know it's it's them doing, it. it's not just you, you know, coach telling us to do this coach, you know, and it doing it for you, them doing it for themselves and for, and not just for themselves individually, which, you know, we talk a little bit about that too, but doing it for the team and, you know, trying to come together. And, you know, I guess that's, you, know, you touched on it a little bit, but, you know, what are maybe some of the challenges or the the, you know, ways of trying to make such, you know, such an individual sport. We saw it, you know, recently of, you know, did a lot of talk about the Ryder Cup, you know, and, and then the Solheim Cup before that of bringing these individuals together to make them a team. Um, you know, as much as they've played high school golf, it's still not quite the same when they come in as, you know, a collegiate team. And I mean, you're traveling together. Sometimes you're living together. You know, you're doing so much together, but you are still so individual. And golf is such an individual sport at the end of the day. So what are some of those challenges or, or ways to try to get them to come together? Um, so like you said, to be a more player led team, but just to get along sometimes and, and adapt to each other's, you know, ways about stuff.
1: Yeah. I saw this question on the, the list when you sent me the email and I was like, man, if, if I actually had this answer, I'd win a Nobel peace prize for this, but True.
0: Yes. Um, yes. that's,
1: that's a, that's a tough question. But, and I, and I, like I said earlier on, you know, a lot of my coaching comes from my past failures, um, where I'm not afraid to try things that are a little bit different. And if they don't work, the best thing about me is I just scratch it. Um, I'm a big journaler. So every single day I'm writing two to three, five sentences in a journal and I keep track of those and, um, what works, what doesn't work. But as far as taking individuals and making them a team, I think it's important for them to realize that, you know, the team environment, because high school golf outside of, you know, maybe some Texas schools and, some South Carolina schools and maybe some Florida schools, it's different. You know, there's, you know, the double par limits and it's just, it's just kind of a a different game once you get to college. And it's very quickly understanding him or understanding for them to buy into the culture, but it's also the coach and the players to help lead the culture. And, you know, our beginning of the year meeting, it's not just me up there speaking. Like I'm not just going down this diatribe and, you know, I allow all my upperclassmen to say some things and, It's that way they hear the voice of the players. And especially right now, it's been very influential for our seniors who have gone through the gambit. They they were there when we were finishing dead last. And now, you know, we're winning conference championships. We're winning tournaments and we're competing. We're in that conversation. But it's having 100 percent buy in on a daily basis. But, you know, coaching them as individuals, I think that's important. And you have to distinguish between the coaching and the team building process of it. And I tell every player, like, you know, we're going to have one-on-one conversations where I'm going to coach you and I'm going to challenge you, but then I'm going to challenge the team as well. Um, and after the second round, when I felt at Lady Paladin, we we didn't, we shot 298, not terrible, but in relation to the rest of the, um, the field, it was about an eight, 10 shot difference from where we should have been. And, you know, I challenged them to change some couple things as a team and as a group and Afterwards, while they were cooling down, I pulled a couple players aside individually and spoke to them saying, hey, this may not have applied to you, but here's what I want you to do. And, um, you know, and it's you you get a better buy in, in my opinion, when you speak to them as individuals and make sure you clear the air and don't let them create the narrative. Um, As far as keeping the chemistry and doing things together, I'm fortunate to have inherited a program that had a great chemistry base already. Um, where they did the team dinners and they did the team hangouts and the social aspect of things together. And and I've just kind of built on that and gone from there. But as far as, you know, coaching individuals, it's coaching them as a person, not as a subordinate or anyone beneath you, you know, giving them the respect they deserve as a player. And eventually, you know, there's that buy-in to the team culture when you allow the players to speak and have opinions. But they also, like you said, there's that fine line where, they know I'm going to make the final decision and they're not always going to love it. But, you know, I allow my players to always voice their concerns or thoughts. And but I only say is if you're going to come with a complaint, you better have a solution. Um, because if you just come with a complaint, the answer is always no. If you give me some type of solution, well, maybe we can work on it. Maybe we can try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll move from there. So I think when you, you allow the players to have a little bit of a voice in the building of the program and development, sustainability of it, 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 that transition is pretty easy.
0: Yeah, I, li- I like that. It's um, It actually was, um, I was trying to bring it up where I put it talking notes and journaling. I'm always watching stuff and taking little notes. And um, there was a commentary between Michael Jordan and Steph Curry um, following up from the, or actually it was before the Ryder Cup, but I don't think it aired until after the Ryder Cup. And that was some of what he said. And just, uh, he said such a good quote about, you have to give up bits and pieces of who you are for the benefit of the team. And, you know, just again, just learning how, to, you know, you as a coach adapt to that and where, you know, my coach, uh, Mick who's at Alabama now talked a little bit about where you have to you know meet in the middle, both, you know, from the fact that the coach has the, you know, the absolute say at the end of the day, but yet trying to adjust to the fact that like everybody does, you know, work different in, in different styles of um, personalities and what it takes to coach them and, and trying to adapt to them, but yet also being willing to kind of challenge them to the fact that, you know, you've, you've seen it a lot more. You've done it a lot more. You obviously at the end of the day, know a lot more and such that balance of being that authority to it and um, to them. But yet, like you said, putting so much of the the responsibility and, and everything in their hands and, and getting them to, you know, just to, to buy into that, I'm sure is just a daily, daily challenge and yearly challenge when you then get new players and, you know, got to get them to buy in. It's just that constant, you know, as soon as you probably, and same thing, even just the seasons, as soon as you feel like you kind of get it, then you get the, little bit of the off season. Then you have the spring season. Then you got another whole new you know, group of players to, to start it all over again.
1: Yeah. You're absolutely spot on it. It probably makes my job a little more difficult because you know, it's constant relearning. And um, I was kind of glad to not see like a coaching philosophy question on your list, because my answer is, I mean, there, if you have one philosophy, you're probably coaching wrong because you, you have to change it based off the makeup of your team and the yeah. season and the time of the year. And, you know, it, it changes it's ever evolving, but I think it's, my opinion, I think it's what, you know, you can get the most out of your players from.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah, I actually kind of had that a little bit more about the coaching philosophy and all that. And I actually took it off just because, again, it's like you said, it's it's different. It's, you know, I think some coaches and I do have the kind of do you have that go to motto or something that some have. But I'm even the type that when it comes to that stuff, there's so many different ones. And, you know, you, like I said, you do have some that have that one that they live by and, you know, but so much of that has so many variables to it that, um, again, you just have to adapt and adjust. And, and I guess that's a good thing to kind of talk about a little. And I know we want to talk about it a little from the parent side of things, but let's talk maybe first from the girl side of things, just that transition into college golf, you know, we're fresh into, um, you know, girls just being in the first couple of months of school and, The freshmen and and obviously we, you know, COVID years has been a little bit different for what that looks like. But, you know, I've been talking to a lot of my girls. Some have gone in and and they're loving it. You know, it's been tough, but they love it. I've got a few that are already like, I want to go home. Like, I hate it. You know, Um, you know, what are some of those things you see as the girls come in as freshmen that, you know, make it tough, make it a little bit easier Talk about what can you do to prepare, and you know, sometimes I'm like, "There's only so much you can do to prepare. It's just gonna be, it's gonna be what it is." But you know, what's that look like as the freshmen come in and, and get more adjusted?
1: And I, I well, again, I wish I had the perfect answer for this because I don't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I wish I did well, too.
0: Yeah, I wish I did
1: too. How how well prepared you are within that first three or four days? At some point, you're going to get sucker punched, and you're not going to know what to do as a freshman. And you know, every year I. I you know, probably gain a little more sensitivity for our freshmen because they're walking around bug-eyed. Like, you know, I'm just saying, oh yeah, go to the APC, check in here with Miss Sherry, and this, and they're like, what's the APC? Like, so yeah. I have to always yeah. kind of remind myself, like, all right, I need to use regular vocabulary here, and yeah, slow yeah. things down, it's like a little teaching bit, a beginner
0: but- in golf, you know, like when yeah. you. You say, I think I did it before, and I said something about hitting out of the bunker. And there was a player that's like, what's a bunker? I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, you forget. You're just so used to it, you forget you do. You have to use those elementary terms and uh, like yep. it would with a uh, beginner golfer.
1: But, you know, truth be told, I think, you know, the, the players who come in and adjust the best because it is definitely an adjustment, whether you're, you know, you have your own room in a dorm or you're sharing a room in a dorm and you have a common bathroom or a single bathroom, whatever. There's so many adjustments there. And, um, I think it's, it goes back, like you said, to the parents and, you know, the parents allowing them to gain some independence throughout high school, you know, obviously you can't give a ninth grader the same type of independence. You can give a 12th grader, but allowing them to have some individual responsibilities, um, you know, sending out the emails in the recruiting process, phone calls in the recruiting process. And, um, just, you know, being the one to initiate a conversation. I think the, the players who have that independence or have al- been allowed to have some independence from the parents and, you know, they, they have a better adjustment, a quicker adjustment than the ones who, you know, I don't want to say their hands been held, but they've kind of had a, a slower maturation process in that, in that area.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, and we talk about not making the podcast about the recruiting process, even though that's what my days pretty much always spent doing. That was not my goal with it. But what you said, I mean, it's, you know, again, a big part of this is talking about that college life and transition. And, you know, I get a little bit of pushback sometimes for how much responsibility I try to put in the player's hands for what they need to be doing with the emails and the phone calls and all that, because, you know, at, at the end of the day, I am, you know, hate to do what I do, but I'm like, hey, I'm not here to make this easier and to do this for you It's to make you do this because, you know, the tougher this is, the more you do, the more prepared you're going to be when college golf comes and you know how to write those emails or speak for yourself or ask questions. You know, those are all things that make this transition a little bit easier without just, you know, putting it on paper that these are steps to get more prepared for college golf. It's just that natural progression if you're willing to do it. And, and like you said, the more you know, yes, there's got to be some involvement on the parent side of things. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a big decision. It's, it's a Mm -hmm. lot to do and you need that push and that encouragement, but the more you're willing to do it. And I've definitely seen that for uh, the girls that do tend to be a little bit more prepared or tend to be a little more comfortable going in um, is just, you know, they've done these things that, you know, not just non athletes but you know kids that maybe didn't have to kind of struggle a little bit with the recruiting piece or you know have to kind of put themselves out there or you know just just do a little bit of extra work um because yeah so much of it is and yeah you know college life and then you know life past that for interview process and you know working on on all those things so much of it is just you know is truly those those life skills that are, are needed for sure and and help with that transition to to college golf and learning how to um you know, again, just ask questions and, and just write an email. That's probably been the biggest thing. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, I, when I first started business and did this, like I had to learn how to do those things as well. Cause you know, you just don't necessarily do that as a teenager, I guess, but you know, just just learning how to draft an email that like makes sense and doesn't have, you know, emojis and, and little um, abbreviated words and all that kind of stuff. So oh
1: yeah. Trying to read my players text messages these days is driving me crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I never thought I'd be at that point in my life where I was so disconnected, but they yeah. use the, they use these words and emojis and all this stuff. And one day, funny story, I, I put a period at the end of a text message. Yeah. And I thing it was like, Hey, I need you guys to come by the office period. And yeah. I've never had more players in my office within five minutes. And I'm like, why is everyone here so quickly? And they're like, because you put a period. And I was like,
0: that's what you do at
1: the end of a sentence. I, I, yeah, I was like, that's normal for me, and to them, that yeah. was like very formal like, and everyone's and, and all this stuff. And it was just like, oh, here's some new head covers. Like yeah. it was just one of those things, and so <laughs> there, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. But you know, I always thought I was going to be cool and hip, but clearly that's kind of passed now.
0: Uh, I feel you. I'm the same way. I try to be, and my niece said something the other day about her fit, which I guess is the new word for like outfit. They say, you know, she's like, um, she said it on Snapchat or something. And she said, you know, her fit. And I'm like, what is that? I even had to Google it to see. And then actually came up on the radio that that is like one of the new lingos is is saying fit versus, you know, outfit or like what I'm wearing. It's the, like, oh goodness. Yeah, I I definitely feel, you know. Um, very removed a lot of times from that. Even though I want to try to think that I'm, you know, a little bit more connected there. Um. So you know, we, t- we talked about a little bit about that transition. Let's touch a little bit on you know kind of the tournament prep side of stuff, what that looks like. Um, you know, practice rounds, tournament week, qualifying, some of those things. Like, what's that look like? Which I know is a little bit different. I know it's very broad. Um, but what does some of that look like in the sense of, you know, how, how that's done each week versus, you know, tournament week versus maybe a non-tournament week. And, and then just kind of what the practice rounds look like with the girls and and how much that, you know, helps them to be able to do practice rounds together.
1: Well, perfect. Uh, I think with the tournament week, tournament prep, I, I try to have the qualifying finished you know, four to five days ahead, because I do believe there is this thing called qualifying fatigue where you know they're they're going so hard for you know four or five rounds to qualify. I've always felt like if you qualify right into a tournament, there's a little fatigue and lag left over. So we try to have everything finished four to five days in advance. And for me, those four to five days in advance don't change. I try not to put any more, you know, I don't say this is tournament week and we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do we're going to keep it the same. We're going to keep it consistent. I think one thing that's helped us be more successful throughout the last four years is the consistency of practice The players know on Tuesdays, we're going to be here for an hour and a half. Um, and then after that, we're going here for an hour and a half. And I think, you know, as long as we can keep those things consistent, um, you know, we're, we're going to be good going into a tournament as far as the tournament rounds, you know, you know, I've learned a lot over the years from my own playing and uh, from coaching men to coaching Brand new women's teams, to you know, talented women's teams. It's, you know, you once again, you're coaching the individual. Um, if I got on a tee box and said, "Hey, I want everyone to hit three wood," well, that's not going to fly because I have, you know, some players hit at two eighty and some have hit at two forty five. So it's about, you know, pulling them aside and saying, "Hey, what do you think about this tee shot?" Getting their feedback. If they're uncomfortable, you know how to lead the the, the dynamic of what club to hit off the tee. And um, you know, we we spend. I'm not going to say we're quick in practice rounds. I will be hundred percent transparent there. Yeah. Um, we're, Where we do not hit a lot of tee shots. We don't hit a lot of second shots, but we do spend a lot of time chipping, putting, um, hitting bunker shots. That's something I harped on very early when I got here is I think I counted for many tournaments, how many holes it took for someone to actually hit a bunker shot in a practice round. And I think it was about 12 to 13 holes on average before someone would hit a bunker shot. And, um, so now, you know, they know, they know my philosophy on that. So, you know, they're hitting a lot of bunker shots, you know, they're, they finally picked up that, you know, the front right bunkers on golf course typically have less sand because of the hand, higher handicap players hitting in there than the back bunkers always have more sand because whoever misses a green long, I don't know anymore, but, um, that's a whole different soapbox there. Um, so we, you know, we, we spend, we do spend very deliberate. We spend a lot of time around the greens and, you know, I always apologize in advance if anyone's, you know, waiting on us too long. And, um, you know, this week at Furman we split up three and three because Jeff had us going out first. and I'm like, Oh boy, that's, Uh that's not going to be good. (laughs) That's not going to be good. So we just went ahead and split three and three. My assistant took the three players. who probably played the golf course the most. And I took some of the the younger players who haven't played the golf course the most. And, um, we just kind of, we, we went around and we did it in about five hours, which I felt was pretty decent and, um anytime we can get under six hours practice round mm-hmm. i'm i'm happy um i'm sure you yeah, remember yeah. those days oh um, yeah and
0: you know, well when you got that when you're playing mm-hmm. at least a five some if i mean at a minimum usually um you know it's um it's gonna take forever i mean oh, you know it's it's just it's it's, they're, they're long days yeah oh yeah
1: it's painful and I, i've learned make sure you have plenty of snacks because about hole 14 hole 15 it gets a little cranky <laughs> at times from yeah, from some yeah. players if you don't have enough snacks in, in the cart at that point and Um, but as far as the practice rounds, I I coach the individual to the golf course. I don't really force feed anyone to a certain type of style of play. Um, it's a lot of times I ask them questions to see where their thought process is going. And I think, I mean, not a lot, some of the viewers may know the golf course, but I believe it's at Furman it's hole one, two, three, is that the par four with a little Creek that runs through and the bunker, you know, we had most of our players hit driver and our longest player made her hit three wood or five wood off the tee and. Um, I didn't make her. I just said, Hey, hit your driver, hit your three wood. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of learning what you can't do instead of having that fault during the round, like find out in the practice round and she hits driver and it's actually perfect, which was almost a kiss of death. But um, she goes, you know, I just, I just don't know if I feel comfortable hitting driver. I'm like, okay, we'll hit three wood. So it's kind of, you know, I allow them to kind of speak a little bit, have their opinion and Um, she's also the same player who tried to punch through a tree, uh, Furman as well, but I had to, I had to redirect her and say, we're going out sideways. Um, so it's, you know, sometimes you do have to take the the reins and lead their thought process. But, um, as far as practice rounds, it's really about, you know, you know, letting their style of play adjust to the golf course and teaching them individually how to get around. And once again, it complicates my life a little bit more by doing it that way. But I think that's definitely what's best for the program.
0: Yeah, I can I can see that cuz again you can't you know everybody just have to play it different although there's certainly some standards for certain things that you know mm-hmm. apply to everybody it doesn't mean that it's going to be the same approach or the same club that gets them there or the same target or anything like that so it, yeah I can can only imagine trying to do you know that many individual practice rounds to a degree within the same kind of time frame that it uh got to be very mentally exhausting and and like you said those those snacks come in handy before the end of the day.
1: Oh, yes, and that's what's causing a lot of the gray hair and gray beard that I've got <laughs> going on here these days. It's like I woke up one day and I'm going gray and I think I, I think I owned it up to those practice rounds at times.
0: I could see that. I can see it. Well, my dad blames me for him not having any hair. I think at this point for all of the stress that I caused over the years with my golf game and everything. So, and I get it now. I can, can relate. Well, you brought up a good point and we all love talking about food. I love snacks. I'm known as the snack queen. You never, I was at the golf course with one of my girls yesterday. And I think I had four different snacks with me to eat just in nine whole time period. Uh, But it is something a lot of the girls ask me about. They talk about, you know, both between, go-to snacks like uh, even some of my girls going in from a college perspective back when we did our spring kind of college prep series for my high school seniors wanted to know you know how do we prepare for those things when it comes to tournaments you know um, do we get to go to the grocery store as a team you know those kinds of things so just you know again food's always a great topic Um, you know some of the favorite places the girls want to go eat what are some of their snacks for things to do what's the the team you know any major like issues that y'all have as far as allergies that you have to adjust to, um, talk about food scenario.
1: I'm thankful right now, knock on wood. We haven't had any allergies or preferences that have caused too many issues, but, um, so we'll move past that one, but on course snacks. I mean, I, I spend way too much money on on course snacks because (laughs) once again, I'm trying to appease everyone and it can be, it can be a challenge at times, but, you know, everything from, you know, beef jerky to almonds to, you know, trail mix to RX bars to sometimes even smart pop. Like that's not the world's worst little snack on a golf course until the kernel gets stuck somewhere. And that's a whole different can of worms, but uh, fruit, apples, bananas. (laughs) Um, But I know our go-to and every player makes their own sandwich or two before the round, which is really nice because they do it themselves. And me and my assistant get to continue doing things and um, it's a peanut butter honey sandwich that you know. I'm sure when you played, you probably had a few dabble into peanut butter honey sandwiches. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Um, a lot of players are unsure when they come in as freshmen, and then one of the upperclassmen will make them a peanut butter honey, and then they're addicted. Um, <laughs> they get that sugar. They get the kind of you know, it's not as you know. We're not getting into a nutrition speech here, but not as sugary, not sugar yeah. heavy like jelly and mm-hmm. all of that. So it's just it gives you a little sweet boost and um so the players will have one to two of those around um but as far as favorite restaurants i think anything with free bread truthfully okay anything from olive garden to italian places to outback to texas roadhouse they love the free bread and they pretty much we sit down and they say can you bring extra bread yeah um they're they're big on the bread piece of it um, but anything Italian, anything steakhouse related are definitely are probably our, our go-tos on the road.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny you said that cause we were, um, I can always remember coming off the golf course and you do, we always went to, our first thought was not necessarily on, on the road, but like qualifying and practicing was Mexican because you got the chips as soon as you sat down and I mean, we could mm-hmm. sit there and eat an entire you know, basket of chips in no time, because I think back then we didn't necessarily always have snacks on the golf, even though I usually had food in college. I don't remember for like qualifying and stuff like that. Always thinking about having snacks with me at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can just remember coming off the golf course, just starving. And yet yeah, you just, you don't want to have to order and then wait. You want it to be there. And you're usually craving carbs and just, you know, food and food that's just quick and easy and, yeah. and it's going to fill you up real quick. So that's uh, that's funny that that's such a such a go-to and a thought to it, though. But I can, I can see that even though I can't do the bread like that um, with the gluten, it's um, I can see where that's very tempting to uh, to want right off bat. Yeah,
1: I definitely, I definitely remember in college after nine holes, getting a bottle of water and a power bar. Um, yeah, it tasted like cardboard.
0: Carbon. Yeah, um, back then, yeah, protein yeah, bars then was, were were terrible. It,
1: it was it was bad, and a red and yellow package. I still remember it distinctively to this day yeah, because it was uh, it was not good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can, um, I can remember those. Just those original, yeah, those very first power protein bars oh, and stuff were yeah. just not. Now they're, now I actually can think of them almost not as a dessert, but it's almost like a treat. They're actually mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of the ones I have. I actually like, like, think of as because a lot of them have got some, you know, not sugar in them, but peanut butter or enough kind of flavor that, um, that they're not as just like turn your nose up, gross as as they used to be. So right, they come a long ways. That's for sure. Yes. Um, so let's kind of just switch back modes for those last little bit and talk some about some of the the challenging and we've, we've hit on some of these, um, actually, you know what, there was one question that popped up that I did. It's not on the list. It's actually, it was not putting you on the spot too much, but, um, you know, you talked about, um, we've had Erica on here, coach Brennan, who's, um, at South Florida. Um, I did not realize just in doing this podcast, how much some coaches would talk about how much they've learned from other coaches um, you know, just listening to these episodes and everything's not something I thought about in doing this, but, um, and then you play, I mean, you coached under Annie Young for a year, her and I played on tour some, but what, you know, what are a couple of things that you've learned from some of the other coaches that you have either, you know, worked with as an assistant or just in general, what are some things I said, I know that's, kind of putting you on the spot for a little bit, but you did bring it up. You talked about learning things from other coaches. So um, we're just going to make you talk about that. Then we're going to get back to just the last little bit of uh, some, you know, more things about you and and your coaching. uh, But what's some things as far as that goes that might stand out?
1: I think one of the most important things I learned was be humble. Um, Very, very quickly be humble because you're going to be wrong more times than you're right and admit when you're wrong. Um, I think early on when I was at Coker, um, the, the basketball coach at the time was the former golf coach, also Dan Smotzer. He's someone that took me under his wing very early on because he really cared about the direction of the program. And, you know, I fought luckily, once again, I followed a great person in John Handrigan, who's now the, the men's coach at Notre Dame. So he left me with a ton of talent and Dan Smotzer, you know, quickly told me, Hey, you, you've got to be organized. You've got to be concise. You've got to be black and white, the gray area is you know a bad spot and you know coaching not only whatever sport football basketball soccer it's you know you want to be black and white you want to be clear concise and you'll be a great great communicator um and then we go you know i go down to saint leo uh chris greenwood on the men's side we played on tour for several years many years actually and uh, was a successful player, really taught me more about the game, how to handle stressful situations, how to coach players, how to even recruit better. And, you know, I think everywhere I've been, I've learned something. And, you know, then I go work with Annie Young out at Colorado State at the time, who's now at Tulsa. And I quickly learned that D1 is a whole different ballgame than Division Two, And it's not just about recruiting. And There's, you know, there's a more business side of things. And there's probably eight times as much paperwork that all of us love to do. And you know, she really taught me how to balance between the two with, you know, how to motivate, how to push them without going too far. Um, You know, even after a good round, it's okay to still challenge them in ways and not always coddle them and hold their hand. And, you know, even when you, you play a great round, there's, you know, you can't give them that false sense of security and, you know, have, you know, that comfort where they still need things to work on. And so I learned a lot of the business side of division one from Annie and, um, coming out here. But then throughout the process, you know, you you speak to people like Erica Brennan and you just become infatuated with learning different things from her. And, um, you know, at the Bill McDonald at South Carolina and, you know, I think Jamie Green when he was at Charlotte, now he's at Duke. And um, Dan Brooks at Duke has been someone that, you know, I've spoken to a lot of his camp a few times. Kevin Williams, who was at East Carolina and South Carolina, now back at East Carolina. There's been so many coaches that just through the recruiting process, when you start walking and Um, A lot of recruits, you know, don't realize how close we actually are, Um, but we're all competitive where we want to beat each other. But at the same time, it's it's a mutual respect. And when we're out recruiting, a lot of times those conversations come up. And, you know, as a young coach at the time, I was like 25, I was naive to everything. I didn't know how to do scholarships. I didn't know how to do a zero-based budget. I had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, I pick up these things and, you know, from different coaches at that time, I was like Jamie Green and Charlotte giving me advice on fitness and, how to push motivate players to um, better themselves in the weight room. And it's just different opinions because if you, I read a lot of books, some coaches and I learned a lot, you know, I read a lot of John Wooden books and maybe that style doesn't quite work anymore with this (laughs) generation. And, you know, you can't teach kids how to tie their shoes because they're just going to look at you like you're, you're crazy and you have three heads. But um, I think it's just, for me, it was just asking questions when I was young and, you develop those relationships and you know I never would have thought you know all this time I'd still be in contact with many of those coaches
0: yeah I think that's something that a lot of recruits and parents going through the process and then players when they get to college is like you said how how much the coaches know each other and and how close they can be and how much conversation goes on and yeah you know at the end of the day like you said just competitive it's um you know it's uh, you're not necessarily trying to learn to, you know, you want to use it to your advantage, you know, to to put it into play or whatever it might be. But, uh, but, you know, just how much, you know, sharing of information and just talking and chatting and, and every, you know, how much the coaches just uh, like you said, how close they are. And again, it's a big part of understanding the being honest and being, you know, everything through this process as a recruit and a college player and that kind of stuff of just, you just don't know when, you know, when people know each other and then how much those connections and relationships um, can be a positive thing, but yet can really come back to to haunt you if you're not careful.
1: Oh, that's very true. We're, we're, we're more friends than enemies. I can assure you that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely seems to be the case. Um mm-hmm. Um, well, you said one of your challenges is all the paperwork, uh, but outside of all the paperwork that you have to do, what is maybe one of the bigger, uh, and I know we've kind of touched on some different things, but what do you feel like is maybe one of the biggest challenges as a college coach, um, you know, just as a whole to, um, to navigate every year?
1: I think probably for me personally, the, the biggest challenge is probably one of my more rewarding moments, and um, it's the rebuilding process. You know, when you take over a program that you know, historically has been good. and I feel like everywhere I've gone, there's been kind of a rebuild type of mindset that's had to to take place. And I think there's such a misconception when you say you need to change the culture because people think, oh, you have bad players or bad people. And no, it's just, you know, when I, when I got here at JMU, there needed to be a, a mindset change. And it wasn't necessarily a culture change. They had great human beings. They were babysitters mm-hmm. for us. And I mean, there are people like to this day, we still I have one player to a FaceTime you know, like two times a week. Um, I mean, great individuals, great, talented golfers. It was just the mindset needed to change. And um, one of the the little, I guess, slogans or whatever I might say is, you know, I want competitors over participants. And I kind of joked about being a participant early on. And participants are the ones who are just content, you know, being on a team or getting a scholarship, content with just traveling, content with just qualifying for the fifth spot. Um, You know, we want the competitors because in golf, you can't necessarily control, whether you win or lose, all you can control is how well you compete for those 18 holes or 36 holes that day, because you can go out and play your best round of golf, shoot 67 and someone shoots 64 and you have no say whatsoever in that. So, you know, I can't say a winner's mentality, but I want a competitive mindset, um, over a participant mindset. And my players will get, I will probably never lose that slogan because I think that's where I was kind of failed as a player was I had that participant mindset where I was like, Oh yeah, I'm out here playing a Hooters event or a Tar Heel or an Atlantic coast event, you know, this is good enough. And then I shoot 74 and I'm like, okay, this, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And through my own failures, I quickly realized I didn't have that competitive mindset that I thought I had. It was just misdirected. um, I think that's the challenge is having players who think they work hard in junior golf coming to college, realizing, Oh, you know, I thought I worked hard. But now you got to take it to another level. Mm -hmm. So finding ways to challenge them to switch from a participant mindset to that competitive mindset is always a challenge year in and year out for me.
0: Yeah, well, since you answered three out of the last four questions all with that one, it kind (laughs) of.
1: I'm smarter than I look.
0: (laughs) Yes, you did. I mean, literally these last four questions you hit three out of those four. Um, well you did, I mean, you know, you did kind of share what that, what that go-to motto, you know, even though we don't have that one philosophy, but I mean, I think that encompasses a lot within that, you know, as far as, uh, you know, being a competitor versus a participant. Um, and you touched on, you know, kind of the most rewarding moment, but didn't necessarily elaborate. I mean, I know you said that as far as like new team, new culture, and then kind of rebuilding that every year. So, you know, is that, you know, to what degree is that the most rewarding moment? Um, you know, what, in, what does that encompass? I guess. So since you, like I said, you didn't quite answer that one out of the three, we're going <laughs> to pick on that one a little bit and then we'll wrap up with the funniest moment before we wrap things up.
1: Um, that's the one I probably should have answered because that was the hardest one I, I saw on the <laughs> list of questions. Um, as far as rewarding moment, I think, you know, obviously golf related wise, that, that rebuilding process, you know, watching, you know, like I said, my, my first year here, we finished, I'm pretty sure it was next to last at conference. And, you know, we have two players that are still on the team from that, that time. And seeing now last year coming back from 16 down to win the conference championship, winning the William and Mary tournament this fall, like watching that transition is always fun. Like, but I think on another side of it, and I think this is where, you know, maybe I'm different or maybe I just think differently than others. I, my most rewarding moment are watching these players mature. Um, and you know, a lot of times outside of the golf course, it's organically, it's environmental, social, those things mature them. But I think on the golf course, like the way they handle situations, the way they think differently throughout the four or five years now, um, that process is something where coaches actually have that thumbprint where they can kind of direct them. And, you know, with our senior Kate, Kate Owens this past year, we were walking down the last hole at Furman and you know, I believe she was five over through four or four over through four holes to start the round. And we're walking up to the green on the last hole. And she has an eight footer to shoot one under. And I just joked with her. It says, do you think freshman Kate would have been here? And she just bellowed last saying no freshman Kate shooting 83 right now. Yeah. So that, that transition to me. And sometimes I don't realize that I'm helping them through that process, the, the patience and maturity and redirecting thoughts and you know, then when they graduate, they write you these notes and you realize you had more of an impact than you probably thought you did. Um, Because to you, you're just trying to get them to be the best player they can. And, but to them, you're, you're giving them something they're going to take to the next level, whether it's law school or becoming a CEO or playing on tour is how to handle situations and how to deal with situations. And, you know, they always stress. I always talk about the power of thank you. Like, you know, thank the live scores because they just gave up their day to just write numbers in a tablet. Like, don't be afraid to use the word, you know, the phrase thank you because it's not used enough nowadays. And, um, but really that, that maturation through the four to five years on the golf course to me, it's you can't replace that feeling as a coach. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I agree. And can, can relate to that with the junior players and, and how things are, um, so definitely a very, very re- rewarding, you know, piece that, you know, on the surface, it looks like the golf game and the scores, but what it, you know, what it's really teaching them and, and seeing it from a maturity standpoint is, is, is yeah, so important. Um, so it's always kind of the favorite story. I know everybody, you know, outside of maybe talking about food and snacks, I think it's one of um, a lot of the listeners favorite things to hear is, um, you know, is that funniest moment. And I'll tell you, I've done probably two episodes this season already and had one of the coaches, I think it was coach weeks that, um, I don't know she said she didn't, I don't think she had one, but eventually she did come up with one that was actually pretty funny. Um, and you know, I've had some that don't have that one moment, some that it's a a tradition or whatever, but what, you know, what would you consider to be, you know, something that stands out or, or again, it can just be something that's a, a general thing that just goes on, but what's one of the funniest things, Um, it's happened to you as a coach, um, or as a player, you know, anything like that.
1: Oh man, I can't even remember me as a player. I don't even know if i want to remember me (laughs) as a player, truthfully. Um, I think, I mean, there's, you know, one thing I do stress is I want, I want a lively group. I want people who have a sense of humor, but when you get to the driving range, it's, it's business, but when we're in the van, it's going to, I mean, every single van ride is something they're going to remember for the rest of their life. And, whether it's being stuck in traffic, having to think of stuff to do because the outlets and the sprinter go out and suddenly no computers or cell phones work or Wi-Fi. I mean, so there's stories like that. And um, there's trips to Vegas where you're walking down the strip and you just you don't know what's going to happen next. But um, I can't think the only thing I can really go back to is probably my first year coaching women, maybe second year. This is when I learned it's just different. Like, it's a complete, mm-hmm. there's like comfort and a whole different world. And long story short, I ended up getting hit in the face with a stick of butter at a Texas Roadhouse.
0: Oh, wow. Um, okay.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, they played a prank on one of the girls on the team where they told her if she holds her hand over the candle for five seconds and then puts it over the stick of butter, that the butter would melt. Well, when she did that, one of the other girls slapped her hand into the stick of butter. And next thing I know, her hand comes flying back because she's sitting right beside me and the stick of butter gets hey. me right in the face. <laughs> and the poor freshman, I'm pretty sure she was scarred for the remainder Fortified of her. That. She was, I mean, it was pure instinct. And, you know, I, at first I'm shocked <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, I can't get mad at this because I try to laugh as much as I can in life and. I mean, I just got hit in the face with a steak of butter, and I don't know how many people can actually go to their grave <laughs> saying that. Yeah, um, that's so, a good one. I don't know if that was probably the most funny to me, but then my players continually playing pranks on me is probably always a good one. Um, yeah. I, have, I have an irrational fear of clowns. Don't know why. Don't know how. A lot but, of
0: people do. That's just I, just. <sighs>
1: it's not, it's not the scary clowns. It's the ones that look like they'll show up at your kid's backyard birthday party, That just yeah. like, you can't have that smile on your face all the time. It just yeah, doesn't.
0: Yeah. Just I mean,
1: there'll story. be, there'll be pictures of them printed out in my office in my golf bag, put in my yardage mm-hmm. book. Um, and they just kind of slide these things in. They think it's the funniest thing in the world. And yeah. They know it's like taking a an hour <laughs> off my life every single time. But, um, so, I mean, those are the things that stick out and, you know, we had some players from Europe, I think, uh, St. Leo, then we we're playing on Easter Sunday and, you know, our school wanted to make sure we were accommodating all their you know needs. Um, and so I went to an my players and said, Hey, if there's anything you need to do on Easter Sunday, please let me know. And they, they told me they have a tradition that they walk around the church three times and knock on the front door. And so I'm like, okay, all right. You know, they're from Norway and Sweden. So I'm just, I'm going along with it and pull into a church parking lot and they just die laughing. And they, I mean, and so apparently I'm pretty gullible at the same time, but I mean, there's so many of those stories that, you know, these are things that they're going to remember the rest of their lives. And, you know, hopefully yeah. that's what keeps me young, even though I'm going gray and I don't understand half the things they say, but it's, it's, it keeps, it keeps the, the job fun and entertaining and less of a, a daily grind when you have people who are not afraid to laugh and sometimes I got to calm them down a little bit, but you know, such yeah. is life.
0: Exactly. Yes. Those, those are good for you to say. You didn't think you had any, I think those are some pretty good ones. Um, you know, uh, again, just the, the, the pranks definitely have to be some of the um, the funniest, um, the funniest things that you hear the girls do. And a few times it's been the coaches doing it to the players. So, um, you know, sometimes those players don't know what they have coming to them as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm not that creative. They, that's, that's kind of my yeah.
1: problems. I'd be a terrible yeah. criminal because I'm just not that like creative yeah. with my thought process.
0: Yeah, I can do the creative part. I'm just terrible. I just give it away. If somebody asks me to like lie about, you know, even if it's in good faith of like, you know, just being funny or, you know, I'm terrible. Like I just, I give it away, um, you know, so much just to, um, um, I, I just can't do it. I can't, I just feel like I'm just, even if it's I just feel like I'm deceiving them and it just seems so wrong, even if it's in a, a joking manner. So I'm terrible at giving stuff away. So I'm I'm bad at that part of the, the prank. I could maybe be creative ahead of time, but if I have to try to like hold it in or somebody needs me to do something, I'm not good at that. So,
1: well, that's probably my, I'm probably good at the uh, deception part. So let's, let's partner up and let's figure out something to do because
0: yeah, you can take yeah. the creative
1: side of things. I can do the hands-on piece of it.
0: There we go. Maybe that'll be your new challenge: is figuring out a way to uh, to prank them back or do something uh, to get them back and get them uh, catch them off their toes. Now, exactly. All right. Well, um, we've I think we actually hit pretty much all these questions on here, which um, and didn't get too sidetracked, which I know we talked about. I'm just as bad about it, and and that's what I love about doing this. Like I said, I, I, I want this to be. You know, part of me starting this was, you know, hey, I get to talk to these coaches and, and have the, this great insight and conversations and chats and everything. So why not, you know, let everybody else kind of in on that a little bit and, and share some of the you know, what college goths really like and, you know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly with it. And, you know, and just see a little bit of what it's like um, from a college coach perspective. Uh, so I definitely appreciate you hopping on. Is there any kind of last parting words that you want to share as we sign off?
1: Oh man, third curveball! wasn't wasn't really <laughs> prepared. Uh, no, I think. Well, just think in case
0: we didn't hit something. So,
1: I mean, oh boy, I think we covered a lot. I'm actually kind of yeah. proud of myself for not getting sidetracked because you know I I tell every recruit like I'm saying, no, oh, it's a 15 minute phone call. Next thing I know, it's an hour and a half. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, yeah. I literally can talk to a barn, and at some point, it'll probably talk yeah. back to me. So it's yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I can get pretty sidetracked. But no, I just I all I want to say is just thank you for what you do for the game um, thank you for the podcast because I was late getting on board with it. But, um, as far as listening to them, I listened to them all. And, you know, as, as I continue to grow as a coach, I will never pretend I know it all. And, you know, resources like yourself and resources like your podcast help us grow and develop and become better coaches. So I I thank you for that.
0: Yeah, well, thanks. I, I said I, I didn't mean to take almost a full year off from doing it, but it's been a lot of fun getting back to it, and and especially doing it in season and and getting some you know really true fresh perspective on stuff. Um, has been a lot of fun so far with this new season of things, and. Um, just trying to come up with new questions and try not to throw too many curveballs while we're <laughs> at it. And the coaches not want to hop on and, and answer um, or if they hear not want to do an episode themselves. But again, I thank you for for joining uh, again, especially in the midst of, um, of this season and wish you and the, the girls best of luck for the rest of the season. Um, don't know that I'll be able to to see anybody out again. Got to see everybody here at the Lady Paladin, which was a lot of fun. Perfect weather, beautiful weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, so definitely got, I had a chance to come out and see some golf, see some of my girls, um, play and, and see some of the coaches. But, um, again, thanks again for joining and thanks for everybody that joined on this episode and listened in and we will see you on the next show. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Tap into College Golf. For more information, you can visit www.brandyjacksongolf.com. That's Brandy with an I. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at bjacksongolf. See you next time.